Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Another big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. He did the heavy lifting on this episode, as he does on most of them, and I greatly appreciate it. You can learn more about his work at IdealVideoStrategies.com. The next round of the ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups launches on Monday, October 14th. If you're interested in joining, go to www.adhdessentials.com slash parentgroups, or you can email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com to sign up for a free information session to learn more about how they work. If you haven't heard from me already, there's an email coming your way soon. And if you haven't signed up already, now's a good time. Registration closes on Friday, October 4th. That link, of course, will be in the show notes. Finally, the best way to support this show is by sharing it with others. So shout it from the rooftops, post it to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever works for you. And please, please, please provide me with a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It helps others find the show, and that means I can help more people. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, we're talking to Alan Mosden. Alan is the father of several children with special needs. He wrote a comment letter that addresses how the Family Medical Leave Act applies to IEP meetings. In today's episode, we discuss what a comment letter is and how FMLA applies to school care meetings. We also talk about petitioning the government to get things done and advocating for your kids. A special note, however, neither Alan nor I are lawyers. So although we talk about legal matters in this episode, please do not take any of this as legal advice. Consult your legal representative before implementing anything discussed in this episode. All right, let's get rolling. Uh, so I'm Alan Mosden. Um, I'm actually an engineering manager at a company called Tokyo Electron. I'm a product of actually the special education system myself. My wife is a fourth grade teacher. Three boys, the two younger ones have special needs. I've been advocating for my kids for a number of years at this point, And I think that's kind of what's brought me to your show today. You've pursued something called FMLA 2019 2A, which is a national law, correct? It's actually a comment letter on uh, FMLA, which is the Family Medical Leave Act. Um, and it's a clarification of the law. There are hundreds of comment letters that have been issued since the law came into, into reality. And then there's a lot of lawsuits that have provided precedents for the various organizations to make decisions. Um, the comment letter is an actual response from the Department of Labor on what they think of a very specific situation without actually having to file a lawsuit. In this case, what we were asking for was whether or not uh, my wife could attend school meetings, specifically IEP meetings, and use FMLA time in order to go to them. And fortunately, the federal government agreed with me. Um, and and there, there's a number of reasons why I thought they should and, and that, that 
uh, it was an important thing to do, you know, and, and, and really it was, it was driven to make sure that our kids had their best advocate at the school meetings. I've been at almost every school meeting for IEPs, you know, and, and team meetings and, and parent-teacher conferences for our children, but my wife uh, is the primary caregiver. She knows our children the best, and she's a fourth grade teacher. So with all those things, she knows the needs of our children far better than I do, and she knows how to address it in an educational setting better than I do and most parents do. And we were obviously in a situation where the school district did not allow her to use family medical leave to attend the meetings. Um, And in the 2018-2019 school year, we had 12 school meetings. Uh, She actually had to miss four of them because she was not allowed to use family medical leave to attend the meeting. The district's policy is you have to use personal time. And as a teacher, because they get the summers off, they only get a very limited number of personal days. That was actually a change from the prior year where she was actually allowed to use FMLA to attend the CSA meetings. So there's a lot of backstory to this that I'll try not to get into, but is really what kind of led up to this comment letter and, and a lot of the things around it. And it, it sounds like you don't want to get into the backstory because things are a little contentious. Am I understanding that correctly? Uh, yeah, things are, are very contentious with the district. My wife actually received uh, a letter from the president of the Board of Education on Saturday, basically saying that the district was not going to comply with the federal law and that they were also going to contest the comment letter. So I'm actually in the process of reaching out to the Department of Labor, various labor unions, special ed organizations to try to get some support to push back on the district to get them not to do this. You'd kind of assume that a school district would want a law in place that enables parents to attend school meetings um, and not oppose it. But you can obviously see there's, there's other things going on that would likely drive them to contest this. And, and it's uh, challenging on many levels. I have a ton of questions, none of which I'm going to ask. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, I understand contention. I understand when things get this level of, of, of difficulty and not wanting to go to the media, which is sort of what I am, and make things more difficult than they already are. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to own the fact that I have a bunch of questions and I'm super curious, but I'm not going to push you in that area. And I also mentioned that so if my listeners are, are listening to this and going, how come he's not asking this question, this question, and this question? They're in my head, oh, mighty listener. I'm just not in a position to be able to ask them currently. Uh, so I'll put that down. And instead, so instead of going into sort of the personal side of this and, and the contentious side of this, where we examine what's going on within the school system and, and what led you to this, I instead would like to ask, what was the experience like petitioning the federal government with this letter? How did you do that? What does that look like? Because that might also be useful for my listeners. I'm going to start several months before we even got to the point where we were considering petitioning. So essentially, we had a beginning of school year meeting. My wife wanted to attend that meeting, um, and we wanted to use FMLA for it. We had taken care of all the FMLA paperwork. We had the doctors submit the proper form saying that our kids had you know, medical disabilities that qualified under FMLA. Um, and that they, and it had already been noted that they had services in the school that were covered under FMLA. And, and all of this is in the, the comment letter. Again, the district had denied um, my wife using FMLA to attend the meetings, which drove us contacting the Department of Labor. 
And, and that was really the first step. And, you know, I explained the situation to the Department of Labor. The investigator that we worked with was absolutely wonderful. She asked a lot of really good questions. She asked why we thought that the district was violating Family Medical Leave Act. We went through uh, six items that um, we had looked at. And in the end, the, the investigator agreed the district had failed to meet their obligation under the Family Medical Leave Act um, in several areas. It took about four months to get the district compliant. And they complied on every item except for one. And the one item they didn't comply on was the ability for a parent to use FMLA to attend an IEP meeting, which was really our, our driving force behind all of this. And our justification for using FMLA for a care meeting was based on several uh, pieces of law and comment letters that the Department of Labor uses to kind of explain what a, what a care meeting is. Now, when you read just the law, a care meeting is a very, very specific and, and narrow thing. But when you kind of go into the comment letters, it really broadens it significantly. Um, the comment letter that the Department of Labor kind of uses as the gold standard is called um, FMLA 94. And it's in reference to um, a person who's in a nursing home and the family is trying to provide care for that member in, in the nursing home. And, and they kind of list out all these providers that can provide care. And one of the interesting things is they, they note that part of that group of care providers is an activities director, completely non-medical individual. So, you know, kind of looking at that and going, we're going to a school meeting where we've got PTs, OTs, speech pathologists, social workers, psychologists. Um, in addition to the teachers and the special education people and, you know, various other individuals that are providing medical type care in a school setting for our kids, that kind of sounds more like a care meeting than the nursing home situation where, where, they're, where they're bringing in things like activities directors. Not that it's any less important, but it kind of sounds like on the same magnitude, which is completely our justification. The school district felt otherwise and they provided you know, evidence otherwise. In the end, the Department of Labor investigator said, although they completely agreed that they felt that the CSE meeting was a care meeting, there was no precedent. So there had never been a case where a school meeting had been defined as a care meeting. Um, and that was the fundamental question. And they had said, because there was no precedent and the district did not want to allow you to lose, use it, we can't make them. So we can't find against them on that one item. Um, they fundamentally gave us two options. You can sue or you can rest a comment letter. Those are really your two options at that point. We really didn't want to sue the school district. Um, I mean, we're, we're literally talking about eight hours a year for meetings. So we decided to follow the route of the comment letter. Um, and, and the route of the comment letter is actually pretty simple. Basically, you go online, you search to see what other comment letters in that area are covered. And if there's nothing kind of in your area, you write a letter to the U.S. government and you email it to them asking them to respond. Um, and there's a couple of pretty simple rules, like you have to say that you're not in a, in a pending lawsuit against anyone. Um, you have to say that no one from the Department of Labor or any other government agency has requested that you do this on their behalf, which you basically just copy their blurb out of it and say, I acknowledge that I'm not doing any of this. 
And then outside of that, you basically state your case on what your situation is, why you think it should be covered, and a summary of what you want out of it. I had actually written it. I thought I had an absolutely wonderful letter. My wife was ecstatic. We were all great. And I said, before we send this, let me just have an attorney look at it. And they looked at it and they said, it's absolutely wonderful. And then they rewrote the entire letter. (laughs) My buddy's an attorney. I can see that happening. (laughs) And we got it back from her and we were absolutely floored. And it it was wonderful. Um, and, And she didn't represent us, but she helped us really fine tune the letter. And really, she eliminated a lot of the extraneous things. Like we were kind of getting into... You know, our kids had, you know, 100, you know, PT appointments in, in the year and they had X number of OT appointments. Stuff the federal government really doesn't need to know or really care about. They're more interested is, were they qualified for FMLA? And why is this a care meeting? So she got rid of a lot of that extraneous stuff and, and took my three-page letter down to about two. A couple clarifying questions, I guess. One, one area that I can see being a little bit confusing because I'm mildly confused about it is you keep saying the district. And when you say the district, you mean the school district that your wife works for, right? Not necessarily the district that your your kid is in or is it the same district? What does that look like? My wife actually works in the same building that our children attend, attend school. You know, not having her attend a, one of these meetings is literally having her walk down the hall. That's how in my opinion, egregious, their actions have been in all of this. And in referring to the district, you don't mean the district as the entity that is teaching your kid. You mean the district as the entity that is employing your wife. It's the same. And I recognize that. But when they're saying, no, you can't use FMLA, it's them acting as an employer. I just don't want anyone listening to this and think that if they're like, an IT person that somehow the school district that their kid goes to can deny them the opportunity to use FMLA. If they're looking for FMLA, the the group that's going to challenge them on that would be whoever employs them. So Fidelity or AT&T or their plumbing company or whatever. Correct. Yeah. So, so my wife's employer is denying her use of FMLA as an employer, not as the school preventing her from attending as a parent. Now, having said that, I think they don't want her at the meeting because she's a teacher and she knows what to advocate for. And I think that's a lot of what's behind this um, and the fact that she advocates for so many of her other students. But in the end, that's a kind of a secondary thing that I'm dealing with. Right. And, And I've seen things like that happen, depending on the school district. Some school districts are overjoyed when they have an expert role in, and some school districts are not happy about that at all. Another question is when we're talking about care meetings, one of the things that I've been asked as I've sort of shared this around the social media world is whether this applies only to IEPs or also to 504 meetings. Since you're saying care meeting, I'm assuming this would apply to either one. Do I have that right? Officially what the Department of Labor said was all IDEA meetings. 504s are not part of IDEA meetings. So it didn't specifically address IDEA meetings. But in the letter, it did go into details of what kind of requirements they are for it to be a care meeting. And, and you're just kind of in the same breath that, you know, you can kind of equate um, the nursing home situation to the school meeting. You can equate an IEP meeting to a 504 meeting. The law is 
is fairly general in what it considers a care meeting. Um, and because of that, you really have to use judgment and common sense most of the time in order to kind of define what a care meeting is. And there are, I'm sure, hundreds and hundreds of IEP meetings that do not qualify from FMLA. It's not because it is an IEP meeting that it is FMLA. It's because it's a care meeting. You know, in the letter, there were, there were some items that they put in that identify really what a care meeting is. And, and a lot of people have written a lot of really good things about it. Jeff Norwalk actually put out an article. He summarized kind of the entire thing and, you know, basically said, ensure that the school environment is, a su- is suitable to their medical, social, and academic needs. Um, and that's really out of the letter. So if the meeting is for a child that has special needs that are documented, there's medical necessity, and the meeting is to ensure the school environment is suitable for their medical and social and academic needs, I think you, you kind of have to say it, it's qualified as a care meeting. Um, there's going to be judgments on both sides. The, the Department of Labor has, has classified, you know, an individual looking for a daycare as reasonable as a care meeting. You know, there's no medical professions. You're not talking about any real specific mental I- medical items, but if the, children, the child has a medical condition and you need to provide care, you need to ensure that the, the environment is suitable and you need to make sure that the medical and social and academic needs are being addressed. So if the 504 meeting is covering those items, it should be covered. And a 504 meeting is covered under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Correct. Not IDEA. And often the implication with a 504 is that it's a medical need. The only thing that seems to be an exception to that is ADHD, which is what I talk about. And I've always been confused about why ADHD is covered with a 504 more often than not, as opposed to an IEP. But it might prove to be a benefit in this case, because the fact that it's an ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, meeting might make it more in line with being a care meeting. I agree with you. I think um, because 504s are, are specifically under the Disabilities Act, it's it should be easier to justify that it's a care meeting. Yeah, and I'm not. I am in no way qualified to give legal advice um, to anybody, but that's my speculation. And so, listeners, if you're looking to pick this fight, I would do a little research first. Talk to your human resources department. I would talk to maybe a lawyer if you need to go in that direction, depending on the relationship you have with your with your employer, but it's worth asking the question. It's worth wondering, at least. The situation that I'm going through with my wife's employer, you know, I really hope that, that no one has to go through. I mean, really in the end, you know, people should be using common sense. You know, I mean, I think we made a fairly reasonable argument on why the CSC meetings should be care meetings. You know, we provided various pieces of information to the district and to the Department of Labor Although people agreed, you know, to, although the Department of Labor agreed and said that employers do allow it, it wasn't specifically covered in the law. My wife's employer didn't want to allow it. Other employers do. So, you know, obviously having a good relationship with the employer is really the first thing. You don't want to immediately call the Department of Labor and say they're not letting me go to a meeting. You want to try to work it out first. Department of Labor should not be the first phone call. You know, after that, if the Department of Labor states it's not a care meeting. And I think, again, I think this comment letter probably provides a lot of ammunition for them to say it is covered. But again, it's going to be very specific to an individual's details. Kind of like you said, I'm not an attorney and, and I can't really provide legal advice, but 
you know, we really, people have got to, got to look at their situation and, and look at this comment letter and, and possibly some of the other comment letters out there. Um, and this comment letter gave a lot of good references to some other comment letters in this area and, and say, does what I'm doing make sense? And you really got to kind of take the emotion out of it and, and say, technically, is what I'm asking for what the law is there for? And, and if you can reasonably make that argument, I think you've got a reasonable case to go to your employer and say, I really think this should be covered. And, you know, and, and if, it, if it gets contentious or they're just adamant that it's not, and, and you really feel strongly that you have a case, I would definitely talk to the Department of Labor. They're, they're more than willing to talk. They were more than willing to talk to me uh, on a couple of occasions about my understanding of the law and their understanding of the law. It was very easy to file a complaint with them if you need to do that. The representatives I spoke to, and I spoke to a couple there, um, were all excellent. And they were very positive, and you know they they really pushed to try to work this out with my wife's employer. In the end, they said our biggest problem is you guys don't trust each other. Yeah, at this point we don't, and there's some underlying reasons for that, but that was fundamentally the, the issue. They felt my wife was taking advantage of the system to attend these meetings and to use FMLA. And we thought that they were trying to prevent her from attending these meetings to block services for our kids. And, you know, obviously we, we feel pretty strongly on, on the, the fact that they're trying to block services for our kids and, and we have evidence for that. And, you know, they clearly feel the opposite. There, there is no, there's not a lot of trust in that relationship. And, and really you're going to end up in situations like mine when, when you can't get through that log jam and some, diplomatic way. But I do hope that this this does help other people who are, who are in that situation to give them a little bit more ammunition to kind of say, you know, this really is the case. You really should provide us the ability to do this. And I think most employers want their employees to be happy. You know, I mean, there are a couple of, you know, articles out there that, that kind of mocked the comment letter, not as a mocking me, but why wouldn't an employer do this? You know, why, why are you setting the standard so low for yourself that you wouldn't let your employees go to four meetings a year for their children? You know, and most of these meetings are an hour, an hour and a half long. And in most cases, people are using sick time. So it's not like it's free time. You know, you either use sick time or personal time or you don't get paid. You know, it's, it's kind of that, why, why would you even make this an issue that somebody would have to go get this comment letter? We should just be doing this. We should just be good to each other. I completely agree. Do you have any advice to other parents who might be looking to write a comment letter or, or get support from the government around a need that their child might have following the, the process that you've been through? The request for a comment letter, like I said, it was actually pretty straightforward. Um, there, there's a link on the Department of Labor uh, Wage and Hours Division website. It walks you through the, the process, and, and it is literally sending a letter to the Department of Labor. That, that is the extent of requesting a comment letter. Having said that, the information I got back from the Department of Labor is they receive several thousand requests for comment a year, and they don't respond to a lot. They respond to about 20 a year. Our comment letter was the 43rd of the Trump administration. So for the entire Trump term, there have only been 43 comment letters issued total and several thousand requests. Okay. That was part of the reason why I wanted an attorney to look at it because I, I really wanted it to, to have a little bit of meat. And, you know, it, it cost a few hundred dollars to have them do it. But, you know, I felt it was important. 
And, and I, I thought it was important, not just for us, but I think it was really an answer that people needed to have. Um, there have been so many posts on the internet with people asking this fundamental question. Are school meetings included? Are they not included? Can, can I use the time? And, you know, it, there was a, a clear divide. And the fact that the Department of Labor couldn't really even answer the question. You know, the feeling was it's covered, but we can't make a judgment. I felt it was important to get an answer. And that, that's really why I ended up doing it. But back to your original question of kind of how to do it, it's actually a pretty simple process to request the comment letter. And I think if people have a request, I think definitely go through it, you know, and, and hopefully you'll, you'll get a response. Talking to the people at the Department of Labor, Wage and Hours Bureau, they're awesome. They will give you feedback on the law. They will direct you to certain parts of the document. The entire field operations handbook for the Department of Labor is online. It's available. It's about a 40-page document. It is really easy to read, but it's, it's fairly technical. So you kind of have to dissect it technically. For other sorts of things, you know, we, we've been involved with other government agencies. For New York State, uh, the Department of Education has not been very helpful. They have not been the least helpful of the organizations, but they've not been helpful. And, you know, filing a, uh, a request or a complaint through them is very slow and arduous. You have to first completely go through your, all the remedies that your school district has to offer, and then you can file a complaint with the Commissioner of Education, and that process is about nine to ten months. So it's not really a short sort of process on that, you know, which is surprising. I mean, the Department of Labor... It was, was pretty quick. You know, I, I submitted the letter within a week. I got a call back um, and they were on the phone with the district within a couple of days working through the problems. Now, the end result, it took four months, but largely because the district wouldn't comply with what the Department of Labor was asking them to do. But in the end, it was resolved and, and they made sure that they were compliant before they ended it. As far as kind of other organizations, again, I think there's a, there's a lot of resources out there in government organizations uh, to support things. I've primarily been focused um, on state organizations, specifically for the, the care of the kids. It's challenging to find the right organization that'll actually do something. Um, and I actually spent a lot of time kind of going through various things and, and a lot of trial and error. You can very quickly see what kind of response you're going to get when you make that first phone call. And, you know, you get put on hold for an hour just to speak to somebody. You kind of know, okay, this isn't going to go very well. Department of Labor was wonderful. Um, they were excellent through the entire process. Um, the investigators, I think, were very clear. Awesome. Just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? It's important that individuals remember to, to advocate strongly for their kids. In most cases, I think the school districts and, and the teachers are trying to do the right thing, but you guys know your kids better than anybody else does. Um, you know what their needs are. You, you really know um, what their situation at home is. You know their strengths and their weaknesses. You know, help your teachers educate your kids and, and you know, let your teachers help you develop them. And just make sure you, you advocate strongly for them. Try to partner with your, your teachers in your school district. Um, that is, is definitely the best way to get things done. It's the best situation for everybody. But don't be scared to advocate for kids. This entire process took a long time. We've been battling the district now for four years. And it's not ending anytime soon. 
but you know we're keeping a positive attitude and and we're not going to stop doing what's right for our kids and other kids in the district and we're not going to let anyone tell us that what we're doing is wrong because we know what we're doing is absolutely right and i, and I just want to encourage people to do the right thing for their kids and, and and don't forget the other kids out there sometimes a small thing that you think for your kid is a huge thing for somebody else Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.